How many of you know that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway? And you know what? We need the Word of God to guide us and lead us in His pathways. And I tell you, there's nothing like the Word of God, you know, that God will give you a particular word in a situation where you're in. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And we're in a series. Actually, we're in this series, AD series it's called which you can follow along with us on the NBC tonight. Somebody was asking about that tonight, NBC. Last week we talked about the reality of the resurrection, and there's three things that the reality of the resurrection does. Number one, it strengthened, it strengthened the disciples' resolve. You see, the disciples went from fear to faith, and, and so their, their resolve was strengthened. And uh, I think we have that up there. Yes, go to the next one if you would. Yes, strengthen the resolve. And then, and then number two, the reality of the resurrection, strengthen the disciples' relationship with him. Relationship with him, okay? And uh, we find that in Matthew chapter 28, 10, after the resurrection, Jesus told Mary Magdalene and the other women, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. In other words, there was a relationship that was formed uh, with them as disciples. And then the reality of the resurrection is found in restored lives. It found in restored lives. I want you to think about that. Jesus uh, met, was met in a place of comfort where that uh, Jesus met Peter, I should say, in a place of comfort where Peter had first uh, met Jesus. And from now on, he said, you will be fishers of men. Now today we're going to be talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite subjects in the Bible is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have experienced what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me see your hands this morning. Would you just lift your hands? You know that there's something about the Holy Spirit that gives us power when we feel so weak. Power when we just feel like we just want to give up, you know. And, but there's power that is given to us. And I want to show you this morning, we're going to talk about ten works of the Holy Spirit and uh, we, we're actually not getting in real in, in depth on these things. We don't have time to do that. But I want to give you these things. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then tonight, I want you to just, uh, you know, uh, go turn to ABC and watch the AD series. You'll be blessed because we're kind of work, you know, following along with them in the series. So chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Acts. And here's, what, here's how, it read, how it reads. When the day of Pentecost was come, now this was a feast day of the Jews, okay, a feast day of the Jews, and, it, and it's, it's 50 days, you know, after the, uh, that when Jesus was crucified. Uh, when the day of Pentecost was come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest upon them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to not only receive your Holy Spirit, but to depend upon your Holy Spirit in all the things of life we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Now, in the A.D. series, if you're watching that, you'll see the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. The Spirit had always been working, but, you know, it came down and we, 
we as theologians and we as pastors and we as evangelists and those are teachers, we understand that the church was born on the day of Pentecost. It was born in power on the day of Pentecost. But from the beginning, even in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says the Spirit, everybody say the Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And in the Old Testament, we frequently read about the actions of the Holy Spirit. He would come upon people such as judges and kings and prophets and move upon their hearts. So we've seen that activity in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, the Spirit of God uh, uh, conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. You know, uh, you know that, that was the miraculous, you know, uh, immaculate uh, conception, as, we, as, as one would say. You know, it was because of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, descended upon them boldly as a dove of the baptism in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And in Luke chapter 4, 16, he anointed his preaching of the ministry. When Jesus started his ministry, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the power of the Spirit of God anointed Jesus that gave him power. And he was like nobody else. They said, nobody spake like this man. What was the difference? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't dry or whatever. But they could sense the power of God in that. And they looked upon him and, and, and saw the power upon the life of Jesus. And also we see that it gave him supernatural power to perform signs and, and, and miracles and wonders. All through the New Testament, Jesus, well, there was miracles, even the raising of the dead of his friend Lazarus. And then after the resurrection, Jesus promised his disciples this. This was a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, power to witness. Power to witness. Now, when, when this started happening, we find that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and began to speak, you know, they looked upon him and they said, these are ignorant men, that, you know, and, 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 and how they speak the oracles of God. They were amazed at how Peter began to speak. Well, it wasn't the old uh, Simon Peter, but it was a, a new anointed power in his life that caught, made the difference. Jesus kept his promise on the day of Pentecost. And when God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the believers, they were gathered there in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, this impact, the impact of the arrival of the Holy Spirit was so powerful that, that as you, you'll see in the week's episode tonight, it galvanized Peter and gave him and the other disciples the courage that they need to speak the gospel and to preach openly. They, before that, they were in fear, they were in hiding, but they came out and they began to speak. They begin to speak and things begin to happen. Matter of fact, the Bible says when Simon Peter would walk down the street, the people would put their babies or their sick out there where that just the shadow of Peter walking by, they were healed. The folks, I, I didn't, I, I, I just, I just read that. I didn't, I didn't write that. I'm not just saying that. That's what the Bible says. There was power when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. Somebody say amen. Power to preach. And it resulted in a great revival and great missions and and the gospel was preached from uh, Jerusalem to Rome. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been working, uh, but His work is not aimless. His work is not aimless, okay? In fact, He has a job description, and in reading Scripture, you can count on finding clear description of the Spirit's various tasks throughout the Bible. Scripture does not leave 
the work of the Holy Spirit to our imagination. But he has a job description. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit's not an it, it's a he. Somebody say he. It's the Spirit of God. It, you know, it's the third person of the Trinity. So the Spirit of God has a specific work to be done, and Scripture clearly teaches that. And we're going to give them to you, and there's ten of them. And I just want you to see those this morning. And I hope you're taking notes. You need to write this down because this will be a, a blessing to you. Number one, write this down. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. Now, that should be holy there, Holy Spirit. It should be the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. This is the Spirit's first and primary work and the number one item of His job description. Now, it is the work about which He has always been most concerned. Now, let me just say this. You know, when something is happening, you can, you, you can kind of give the acid test or, you know, if it, is this of the Lord or whatever. And if it's exalting Jesus... If it's exalting Jesus, you'll know that the Holy Spirit is in it because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work about which He has always been most concerned. Everything else, the Spirit does connect with a primary task. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, On the day of Pentecost, when the apostle Peter explained the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he preached about one man called Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of, this is the Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified. And that's what he was preaching about. And that's what got him so upset, okay? And Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 22, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In other words, there's that exalting. And in John 16, 14, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me, and that he will receive what... He will make known to you. Everybody say the word exalt. So the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. I want you to think about that. It is always the Spirit's mission to exalt Jesus. The Spirit has not come so that we might go away from a service talking about the goosebumps and all that and the gifts of the Spirit. That's okay. But it should be for one purpose, and that is to exalt Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit's main purpose is to do, to exalt Jesus. Now, the Spirit has come that we might be deeply impressed with the person and work of Jesus Christ, exalting Jesus. So the purpose is to exalt Jesus. Everybody say, exalt Jesus. Number two, write this down. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Now, I didn't say condemn us. Now, the Bible says there's no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus, but He does convict us. And there's many times the Holy Spirit, we can just sense the Holy Spirit convicting us about things in our life. I didn't say condemning us. I'm not saying, saying pointing a finger at us or shaming on you. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's a conviction that will come upon us. We need to have convictions, okay? So I want you to look at some of these scriptures as I give them to you this morning. In John chapter 16, if you want to turn there, verses 8 through 11, we, we look at this and we find that Jesus identified the inner conviction at the work of the Spirit. When He comes, He says He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, okay? About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world stands condemned. In other words, he's talking about Satan, the prince and the power of this world, okay? The God of this world, the little G, God of this world is Satan. That's what Jesus said. 
But you know, we, as we would look at that, the Holy Spirit convicts us, okay? Now, the Holy Spirit's mission convicts us in three areas. If you're writing, taking notes, write this down. Number one, He gives us an awakening sense of sin, particularly the sin of unbelief in Jesus. The Spirit wants to reserve that unbelief so we can trust and believe in Jesus. Number two, write this down. The Spirit wants to affirm to us the righteousness of Jesus. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, he, he who was without sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, Jesus took our place. Jesus died in our sin. Jesus took our sin upon the cross, okay? The Pharisee says that Jesus was a devil, but the Spirit says, you know, he is of the Father. The Holy Spirit uh, deserves to reserve the world's verdict of Jesus. So the world has judged him as either an imposter or simply among many prophets. But the Spirit says he's righteousness. The Spirit says that he is the Son of God. And lastly, the Spirit brings an acknowledgement that judgment has already been passed against the evil one and that Satan is a defeated foe. How many of you are glad that Satan's defeated this morning? Somebody say amen. He's defeated. He's already, he's already missed it. He knows it, too. He is a defeated foe. So we need to understand those are the three things. Now, number three, write this in your notes. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. Would you put that one up there? The Holy Spirit regenerates us. One uh, minister said our problems in our genes. We were born into sin, okay? And, and Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, no man can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's what we call the born-again experience. You know, you know. <clears throat> many times we think, well, how in the world can you be born again? You know, we're not talking in the natural. We're talking in the spiritual. We're talking how God does a work on the inside of you, how God changes you on the inside. If you want the world to change, change somebody on the inside, and the world on the outside will change. Somebody say amen. See, this is what we need today, regeneration. So spiritual regeneration comes through the Spirit's presence. And Jesus acted upon the truth when on the evening of his resurrection, the Bible says he breathed on them. He breathed on them and he said these words, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. It was, it, it, this is going to be the power that you need. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. Until that point, the faith of the Jesus' disciples had been identical to every Old Testament saint. But things began to change. They looked forward to the Messiah. That's what they did before. And now they were looking at the Messiah. But now, uh, Jesus' work was finished on the cross. He stood before the disciples with proof that his work on the cross was, had been merited, okay? And they received the opportunity that no one before them had ever been given. What was that? To believe in Him who is life and no longer lacking faith. You can put your trust in Jesus. Aren't you glad today that what uh, Jesus did on the cross? But how much more did He do when He rose from the dead and, and He read with that resurrected power that He also gave to us? So Jesus breathed on them and gave them a new life, a new sense, a new purpose, a new power in their life. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, Jesus, uh, God had informed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils a breath of life. And now Jesus 
Here he's breathing on the disciples again and says there's another life that you need to get. It's the life of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes in you, He will teach you all things. He will give you knowledge that you don't know. He will begin to give you wisdom that you don't know. He will begin to uh, teach you all things, things you do not know. Now Jesus breathed a new order of life into His disciples' eternal life. Think about it. And He gave them that instructions to go uh, to Jerusalem, and there you'll be endued with power from on high. Number four, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Oh, hallelujah. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it this way. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Folks, let me tell you something. This is not the church that we're talking about, the four walls here. The church is you and I that are sitting here this morning because it's the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Somebody say amen. That's where the church is. We are the church. We are the church. And we need to understand that. It's not these four walls, but we are the church. So Paul's words to the church at Corinth were were addressed to people who had become insensitive to the Spirit's presence. And we need to understand today, if we want to see a change, if we want to see revival, if we want to see the power of God, if we want to see miracles, if we want to see the gift of God, if we want to see God change things, let me tell you something, it's not going to be through our words, it's not going to be through our might, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by God's Holy Spirit. And God will and God will change things through us. And it's not us, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. The key to change involves acknowledging that we are the Spirit people and that the Spirit of God is within us. The Spirit's presence helps us to resist the power of the evil one. Let me tell you something. You know, know, the Scripture talks about how that, you know, temptation, you know, many times we are tempted, but because of the Holy Spirit, we can resist the temptation. In many ways, our life is what is like a, a submarine. The deeper it dives, the greater the pressure against it. And greater, therefore, must be the corresponding pressure within to resist the evil one. So, you know, the, the enemy comes against us, but when he comes against us, we just need to go a little bit deeper. Come on, somebody. Yeah, there's pressure there. That's all right. But let me tell you something. Hallelujah. God will give us power over him this morning. We don't successfully deal with sin until we come to God and say, Lord, fill me full of your presence and give me the abiding presence of Jesus. So let me tell you something, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it will change your life forever. Number five, the Holy Spirit seals believers. The Holy Spirit seals believers. Ephesians 1, 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, When you believe, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Now, I want you to notice that word seal there, marked with a seal. He also wrote, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed by the day of your redemption. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. So when you become a believer, everybody say believer. When you become a believer, God takes his invisible stamp of ownership and the Holy Spirit and he brands your life. There's a seal upon you. His presence in your life is a mark that you belong to God. How many of you belong to God this morning? Let me see your hands. You belong to God. 
Now let me tell you something. When God looks down and when He sees you today, He doesn't see the old you anymore. He sees the seal upon your life. Hallelujah. And you're, you're, you're his, you know, his eyes upon you, His blessings upon you because that seal is in your life. Mm. Paul also said the Holy Spirit is a down payment that guarantees you're completely Christ. When we buy a house, when a house is sold, I should say, uh, when a contract is entered into it, the house is put in what we call escrow. How I many you know knows what I'm talking about? Put in escrow. Then it's placed on the for sale sign is a sold notice, but the house is not really sold, and then it clears what we call escrow. It's got a clear escrow, okay? So hopefully the person who had put the down payment down had enough assets to complete the transaction. To use the analogy, Paul said that there's coming a day when you will be completely God's in eternity. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You are now in escrow. Come on, somebody. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you and marked you saved across your life. Hallelujah. You're saved. Somebody said, we're saved. Somebody says, well, we're being saved. Okay, because there, there is a, a, some other scripture that we, we can give you there. Of course, you can put up uh, out through a willful decision, you can get out of it, to walk away from Christ and therefore fall away from His grace. But one day, you're going to be totally out of this world and completely His. Somebody say amen. Fortunately, we don't have to worry about the good credit of the one who's buying us. Can you say amen? His assets are sufficient. And when the soul sign goes up over your life, it's a deposit that guarantees our redemption. Hallelujah. Jesus had paid for our redemption. Can you say amen? And it's the Holy Spirit's seal upon our life. Number six, the Holy Spirit guides us. Write that down. The Holy Spirit guides us. Guides us. Leads us. Guides us. The Holy Spirit goes before us. Living in the Spirit is a personal relationship, okay? When you maintain a life of prayer and communion with the Lord, you can lean on the impressions that you get from praying. In other words, I tell you what, when I go into my prayer closet, when I go into my time of prayer, you know, I'm not only there asking God for something, but I'm also there listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to me. Because the Spirit of God can speak to you at that time, and God can give you... Now, you know, a lot of people make decisions, and a lot of people do foolish things, or whatever it may be. And you know what? If you had a good prayer life, and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be making all those mistakes. Come on, somebody! So we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. There's so many instances of the Spirit's guidance in Scripture. Let me give you a couple. In Acts chapter 8 and verse uh, 29, it says, The Spirit told Philip. Everybody say, The Spirit told Philip. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. And also, in Acts chapter 13, too, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. The Spirit began to speak, you know, and people realized and sensed the Spirit was speaking to the church. So we really are helpless in getting accurate direction and guidance unless the Spirit is working in our life. Can you say amen? See, when they had those meetings, you know, when they would come together, the apostles, the disciples, the the first church, the century church, you know, and they would, they would sense and ask God and, and they would listen to the Spirit and they was having a meeting back and forth and there was a discussion and all, all of a sudden James began to speak up and everybody turned to James and said, it is of the Lord. 
Now, they weren't saying James is the Lord. They were saying what he said is the Lord. That is it. That's what we need right there. Their spirits began to leap within them when they got the answer that they needed that day. So the spirit is especially present, you know, especially active and critical junctions in our life and times when we make vital decisions. And we need, you know, we need the spirit that affect us in our everyday work, okay? So the Spirit of God, you know, gives it, it leads us and guides us. Number seven, write this down. The Holy Spirit prompts us to worship. Now, if there's something about the Spirit's work, you know, when you come here, and, and w- one of the things that, that about Open Bible Christian, there's two things I think are very strong here. Number one is that we stay in the Word of God, and we want to give you a good word. And the other thing is the worship. How many of you, how many of you sense a, 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 an awe of worship in this place? Let me see your hands. I mean... You know, it's not just good music. It's not entertaining. I mean, I've seen a, a lot of, you know, uh, skilled mu- musicians and all that. It's not about that. It's about worshiping the Lord. And the Holy Spirit prompts us to worship God. Somebody say amen. The Spirit prompts believers to worship and adore the Lord. That's what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You see, God's Spirit inspired songs of praise on the lips of the disciples in Acts chapter 2 and 4, even in languages that they didn't know. And Jesus said in John 2 or 4, 24, God is a Spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him, help me out, in spirit and truth. That's how they, you know, that's how we worship. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus Himself worshiped through the Spirit. See, the Spirit needs to be there, okay? And at that time was full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. Okay, they, we find that the admonishes us to be filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't be filled with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, filled with the Holy Speaking to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. So when you've got the Spirit of God in your life, there's just something that we have in communion with one another of faith and of believers. As we take time to worship, our spiritual well is always being filled. How many of you know sometimes you feel a little dry? Let me see your hands. You, You feel a little dry. But when we come in to worship, I tell you what, there's something about worship. And even when I'm not in here worshiping, you know, you can turn your CD on or, or, or listen to some music and begin to worship along or, or the radio that whatever you're listening to. But, you know, and I hope it's a good Christian station that has some good Christian music. The Bible says in John 7, 38, for out of, for out of the life of the worshipers, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers. Everybody say rivers. There's a river of life flowing out of me. There's a river of life. And what is that river of life? It's the, it's the Holy Spirit within you. Uh, Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. There's a time to be quiet in the presence of God. There's a time to just sit. And, and you know, as you're in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to you. And give you that one word. Everybody say one word. Give you that one word that you need for the direction in your life. As you listen, God begins to speak to you. In Revelations 19.6, but there's also a time to praise the Lord with, uh, you know, upraised voices. You know, there's a time to even shout unto God with the voice of triumph, the Bible says. So we are to, to learn to worship God. You know, if you're not a worshiper, you need to learn to be a worshiper. Somebody say amen. 
The Spirit incites us to that kind of worship. Almost finished. Number eight. Write this down. Number eight, okay? The Holy Spirit empowers us for witness. You know, there was one thing about the disciples before they, the Holy Spirit came upon their lives. They were backward men. They were men, matter of fact, let me just say some things about these disciples. Now listen, they had been with the Lord for three and a half years. Everybody say three and a half years. I didn't say a couple days. I said three and a half years. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They lived with Him. Okay. They breathed with Him. They fellowshiped with Him for three and a half years. However, when it cut, pushed come to shove, Peter denied Him three times. Somebody say amen. When push come to shove, Peter, when you push Peter's button, he cuts your ear off. Come on, somebody. He cut a guy's ear, clean off his head. Can you imagine that? Just slice that ear right off. Oh, my goodness. I bet he picked the ear up and said, hello. What did Jesus do? He picked it up and put it back on the guy's head. Oh, a miracle right there in the garden. That's what Jesus does. Can you say amen? That's what the Holy Spirit will prompt you to do. Not, not, not to step out and to go into an area to, to, to fight in the physical realm, but to fight in the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit will teach you the things you need to do. Oh, that's powerful, folks. These, you know, they were backward, you know, fishermen. From the day of Pentecost, when Peter began to stand up, and he said, this is that. What's that? All this noise that you're hearing. The reason you're here asking what's going on. This is that. What's that? This is what Joel prophesied in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And he began to preach to them, and, and thousands of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Somebody say amen. The Holy Spirit empowered him. The Spirit ministers the things of Jesus to us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Paul says, I come not with you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power and the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's something in me that I want you to have. And the thing that drives me, the thing that keeps me, the thing that empowers me can empower you. Somebody say amen. So the Holy Spirit empowers witness. It really does. Number nine, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand and apply what is taught in God's Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Spirit not only inspires Scripture, but He also caused it to be inspiring. There's something about the Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all unrighteousness. You know, even the world knows there's something powerful about Scripture. Matter, matter of fact, they quote it, but they sometimes get it backwards or wrong or whatever it is. They don't understand it. Come on, somebody. But when the Spirit of God comes in your life, you'll not only understand it, you'll, you'll know how to teach it. You'll know how to break the bread of life for people in a right way. Whatever the Spirit does will line up with Scripture all the time. You, you know, it's like, well the, well, the Spirit of the Lord says that I'm, I am to, to, to divorce this person and marry this person. Well, what does the Bible say? You know, in other words, you know, let's go back to what does the Word say? You know, what, what does this say and what does that say? So we need to get back to the Word. 
I want you to turn to Revelations chapter 13, verses 12 and 14. Would you turn there? Take your Bibles. Everybody got a Bible? Anybody got a Bible? You know what a Bible is? Anybody carry a Bible? That's your sword. Come on, somebody. You need to carry your sword. That's a sword of the Spirit, okay? Turn to Revelations 13, verse 12, okay? We're going to look at that. The Spirit causes us to understand God's Word. We see this illustrated in the story of St. Augustine's conversion, uh, his uh, uh, conversion, a man who changed the shape of the church, okay? No one could doubt Augustine had a genuine experience with Jesus Christ. He had dabbed in occult uh, religions and lived immorally. His mother, uh, uh, God, godly, grand, uh, godly mother, I should say, Veronica, had prayed for him all of his life. And then one day, as a man in his mid-30s and burdened down with sin, he heard the voice of a child saying to him, take and read. He rushed to a nook in the garden where he found the Bible lying open to Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Romans, did I say Revelation? I meant Romans. That's the revelation, my bad. Romans chapter 13 and verse 12. Romans 13, 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, after Augustine read this, Augustine read it and and he lived it because the Spirit took the Word of God and made it alive to him. He began to understand it. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and it just seemed like it comes off the page? And speaks down into your life. What, what, what is that? It's the Spirit of God that helps you to understand. You know, sometimes a lot of people, you know, and I, I found this out even in, with some of my family. You would go around them and they didn't understand something that was very simple to me. But to them it was complex. And you, you ask the question, why? It's because the Spirit of God is in our lives. And folks, we have something. You don't realize sometimes what you have when you have the Spirit of God in your life. Mm, oh my, I love the Spirit of God. Somebody say amen. God's Spirit lives within us. So if you're growing as a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit is faithfully applying the Word of God to your daily life. And that's how you're growing. Let me give you number 10 and the last one this morning. The Holy Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. He'll give life to our mortal bodies. This is a work of the Holy Spirit that's yet to come. But the promise of that work is connected incredibly with the resurrection of Christ himself. I'm going to give you that scripture in Romans uh, 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Let me say it again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living, where does he live? I can't hear you. A little bit louder. Living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Aren't you glad he lives in you? You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Come on, somebody. Jesus lives in me today. Hallelujah. Think about it. Paul identified the events 
as a positive proof of the validation of the gospel that the uh, life-giving work of the Spirit is promised to each and every one of us. So, everybody say so. How can we apply this to our lives? How can we apply this to our lives? You give the Holy Spirit room. Everybody say give the Holy Spirit room. Do you know when Jesus came into the world, the Bible says there was no room for him in the end. So where was he born? In a stable. He had, you know, there's no other place. Well, there's, there's a stable out there. We'll put horses. How many of you know what, what, what's all, what else is in a stable? I mean, it stinks in there, you know. I mean, it's a stable. That's where they put animals and animals, you know. And, and think about it. That's where he went. Why? Why did they do that? Because there was no what? Room. You see, the Satan, the enemy, does not want you to make room for the Holy Spirit. When you open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, you know, come into my life. Lord Jesus, you know, he comes in. When you open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of God is going to have his way in you. Now, th- this is not a scriptural thing, but it's something that you could base on the scripture. You know, we say that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's more than that. But what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit will not force himself upon you. Now, folks, I'll tell you, and I, I want to just throw this out. We are a Pentecostal church, and I want you to hear this this morning. You know, I, I, when, I, when I got saved, you know, I, I was, uh, got saved in a Pentecostal church, and Matter of fact, my mom and dad were Pentecostal. I didn't even know what the word Pentecost meant. I didn't have no clue what that meant. I didn't, I didn't understand that. But really, Pentecost was a feast day. But, but, but we're associated with because the Spirit of God fell on that day. We put an emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. See, some people in the Old Testament, they put an emphasis upon God the Father, okay? And, and then, you know, some people, they... You know, they, they'll accept the Jews, they accept God, you know, God the Father, okay? They just didn't accept Jesus. Come on, somebody. And they weren't ready to receive the Holy Spirit either. And today is the same way. People are not open to receive the Holy Spirit. I remember vividly that I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, and, and someone says, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, well, I guess, I don't know. He said, you know what? You can get in your prayer closet and you can pray. God can fill you with the Holy Spirit. And they begin talking about that funny stuff, speaking in tongues. Ooh. Da 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 you know. Spooky stuff. What do, you, what do you mean speaking in tongues? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Well, a lot of people in, in, in the New Testament didn't understand it. That's the reason they come and they was asking about it. What, what is this? These these men, these men you know, or speaking in a language, you know, they're, they're like us, but they're speaking in a language. We, we don't understand this. We don't understand this. We don't understand this. Let me just give you a little thought. What kind of language are we going to speak when we get to heaven? Well, you know, we, we in, in America believe, well, you know, it's going to be English. Really? You know, there's a lot of people that, that got saved that, you know, spoke in other, you know, Hebrew and Greek. I should say, and a lot of it was saved before you saved. Well, how could, why, why is it going to be English? Was well, it going to be German? Yeah. I believe it's going to be the tongues of the Spirit. 
Mm. You know, there's times I'm in my prayer closet. Well, let, let me finish this, and I'll get back to that. Over here, I, I, I heard about that, and I began to pray. And I'll tell you what, God just baptized me in the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, you speak in tongues? Yes, I do, okay? And uh, you say, can you speak in tongues anytime you want to? Yes, I can. But, you know, the speaking in tongues it edifies me. It edifies me. Sometimes I'm down praying, and I don't know how to pray, and I begin to just pray in the language. You say, do you understand it? Nope, don't understand it. What was it? I don't know, but when I get up, boy, I feel fired up. The Spirit of God just like, whoa, oh, glory to God. Come on now. Come on. You know, come on, Satan. Come on. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for you now. And there's things I don't know. When I get up, I begin to have a sense of knowledge of what God has done. And there's two kinds of tongues, too. There's one that edifies you, and there's also one that edifies the church. Amen? I, I told you before, I have a friend, a, pa- a pastor friend. He pastors now up in the Washington, D.C. area. He used to pastor in, in um, Charleston, South Carolina, at Richard Edgar. And he went on a, mission, he went on a Holy Land uh, tour trip, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane there. They had a service, and someone began to speak in tongues. And it wasn't anything anybody knew. He began to interpret that. It was at a time when the cabinet members, Israeli cabinet, because of, of all the problems they were having, they had to use some of the Israeli cabinet members to help in the tourism because they needed the money coming in with the wars that they're in and things like that, especially at that time. So there was an Israeli cabinet member, and he was just like, like this. He came up to my friend afterwards, and he said, Sir. He said, that was the most beautiful Hebrew I have ever heard. He said, where did you go to school to learn Hebrew? He said, I don't know nothing about Hebrew. He said, matter of fact, I'm from South Carolina, and I hardly can speak the king's English. And I sure don't know nothing about Hebrew. He said, well, you speaking in fluent Hebrew. Come on. How many of you know the Spirit of God can give you what you need? And I believe that that... That, Hebrew, that, that Jewish person that was there that day needed to hear the message in the garden from Christianity. Come on, somebody. About the Jesus of Nazareth. See, the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. So when Jesus is getting exalted, it's all right. Come on, somebody. So there is a work. The Holy Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. Oh, he'll put life within you. He'll give life within you. You might just feel like you're just down and out, but the Holy Spirit will put life within you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And you know what? You have to make room for him, as I said earlier. You have to make room for the Holy Spirit. So I leave you with this question today. Are you making room for the Holy Spirit in your life? The Bible says it's not by might. Say it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. So it's the spirit of God. You know, it's not our might. It's not what we can do. It's not our brains. You know, you might say, well, I'm a pretty smart person. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit, one little whatever of the Holy Spirit can blow you away. Come on, somebody. I mean, your, your knowledge is nothing compared to God. Hallelujah. And he wants to dwell in you. He won't, if you'll make room for him, he will enlighten you this morning. And you can have power. The Bible says you shall receive, help me out, 
power after the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. Power to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Power. It was, you know, it was disciples, the, the, the Holy Spirit power and that resurrection power that was within them that made the world take notice of them and they turned their world upside down, upside down. Now, let me tell you something. You can turn your world upside down with the Holy Spirit too. And you might be having some relatives or you might be having some in-laws or outlaws. Come on, somebody. But the Holy Spirit can break through and penetrate their hearts. And speak to their lives and turn things around. Do you believe that this morning? Did you get anything out of this today? Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah.